What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Check the Kick Podcast. This is found on SureDog.com. Pretty awesome website. You should check it out sometime. Home of the Fight Finder and many other really cool shows. Um, Pretty weird weekend, I guess, we're coming off of with fights, um, but also pretty good. The UFC Paris card definitely went out with a bang. And I had a pretty good week, busy with work, um, got to do some fishing, which is my other hobby besides doing MMA stuff. Uh, so pretty good all around weekend for me. I hope all you guys had a good week. We got a pretty bad pay-per-view coming up, um, but we will go ahead and start the show off. We will uh Basically, just get rid of our leftovers here with the first me- segment of the show. Out with the old. We have Cyril Gan defeating Sergey Spivak by a second round TKO. And uh, I mean, if you watch this fight, this is like a one sided ass whipping. And I'm here every week to eat crow. And I was dead wrong. Um, I thought Spivak would. Definitely have a lot more success with any of his grappling, but probably 45 seconds or a minute into this fight. I had a feeling that it definitely was going to not be that way. Um, One minute and I knew it was was just going to be curtains for speed back here. really bad showing for him. He had so much. He just had no answers for Gon's speed, no answers for his athleticism, no answers for his jab. All he was doing was just shelling behind a high guard, eating tons of body punches. And um, Cyril Gon is back to form, I guess. I don't know if this fight really told us a lot about where gone is just because just because Spivak just didn't Spivak looked like shit um he looked really terrible Spivak landed like 11 strikes to gone's like 111 or some some crazy amount gone landed 12 times the amount of strikes that Spivak did everything gone wanted to land he landed his jab looked great again his body punching looked great not a ton of kicking from him in this fight. Um, I, I think he he knew if he would have done those same stabbing leg kicks he did against Tuivasa, that would open him up to some some single legs and maybe some sort of grappling entanglements that he just did not want to be in with Spivak. But Spivak looks slow. He even his walkout. He did not look very confident. He got in on one takedown, one single leg, and Gon was just able to use his athleticism. I mean, again, this is heavyweight. It was, he just jumped out of it, and then there was another double leg that was just a poor shot from Spivak, but I think it was more based off Spivak just not having any answers for his speed. And Gon just stuffed it, shoved his head into the canvas, and got out of there basically gave him the bird and just disengaged. There was a huge lump on Spivak's rib where you could see it it looked like he had a broken rib uh, pretty early. 
into the second round, it was very, very noticeable. And then the knockout was Ciro Ghana is just such an interesting striker where when it's slow paced, it's on his terms. He uh, just very tact, very tactful, very smooth, very fluid. But then the second he gets you hurt, when he goes for the kill, he he turns into like a B plus kickboxer. Well, I give him an A on heavyweight standards. He turns into like an he goes from like an A kickboxer, A minus kickboxer to like a D plus. Uh, he's really getting away with those back of the head shots too. But we'll talk about that in a second. He his kill. He's got a killer instinct. But it's he definitely his. I mean, everything he does when it comes to skill and tactfulness just gets thrown out the window when he's going in for the kill. Those clubbing shots, it looked like he was swinging a hammer at the back of Spivak's head. And he it's something that he's been able to get away with. This is his third fight where he's done this. He did it to Tui Vasa, where if you if you get hurt in front of him and you start to turn, he is clubbing hammer fist to the back of your head. And that's what he did to Spivak. He started hurting him to the body. Against other heavyweights, shelling up like that may work, but not against Gone. Gone is just going to sh- just wreck your body. Crush, he crushed Spivak with so many beautiful body shots. The finishing sequence was him going to the body. Spivak finally just keeling over, dropping his guard. Gone was able to start landing clean shots. And then when he went for the kill, it was just a turned into a hailstorm of crazy hammer fist and plenty of other shots and Spivak kind of goes crumbling to the ground. Gone isn't a guy with one shot power at heavyweight. He doesn't have like Derek Lewis power where it's just thundering. He touches you once and you're dead. He doesn't have that. He's not going to. And against lower level heavyweights, he probably would, but he it's his fights are not going to look like that uppercut that Derek Lewis landed on Curtis blades, which just deaded him or, Francis and Ganu knockouts, whatever. Um, but he's definitely fast. He's got g- pretty good footwork. I'm not going to call it great. He's got pretty good footwork. And he could have just used, f- if you put these two dudes in a cage together and just had them wrestle for 15 minutes straight, I don't even know if Spivak would have ever gotten a takedown. He couldn't keep up. His He's just so slow-footed. Spivak looked like he had two left feet in there, too. He's so uncoordinated, so slow. Gone is just, I mean, Gone's an A-plus athlete, and Spivak is a D-plus athlete. Slow, lumbering, no fast switch skills. He landed a couple shots on Gone when he actually went for it, but he would try to he would try to turn a corner and head Gone off, and he was trying to punch ahead of Gone, by the time his punch got to where it wanted to be, Gone was already past that. You know, when you're fighting, you always want to punch where your opponent's going to be. He's trying to punch where Gone is going to be, and he's so slow that he's trying to land, trying to land shots where he's going to be, and he misses him and is landing behind him. Uh, just a, it's really going to set him back. And Spivak's an overachiever. Like we didn't. I'm kind of kicking myself the dick for uh, thinking that a big Francis Ngannou and John Jones 
having grappling success was going to mean that Spivak was going to. And that's, that's just me. Uh, when it comes to wrestling and MMA, especially at heavyweight and what, what Spivak did to Lewis, I, I just thought he'd be able to pull it off, but I really should have really should have realized that the speed and athleticism, he just God Spivak had absolutely nothing for him. This fight looked like, it, it really looked like a former champion, even though he was interim. It looked like a former champion fighting somebody outside of the top 20. It, it looked like if Robert Whitaker were to just fight Dustin Stolzfitz or like Gerald Mearshart, that's what this fight looked like. I don't know what it means for Spivak. For, for Ghana, it means a lot. My yogurt. Maybe they'll sponsor me and send me some free yogurt. Um, for Gone, it definitely means that he is, especially with a performance like this, he went in there and obliterated Spivak. He, this is setting him up for a title shot. Bisping pointed to Tom Aspinall. I know Bisping and Tom Aspinall are boys. Everyone knows that. They're also from the same, you know, UK, whatever. He points to Aspinall. He goes, hey, Gone. Tom Aspinall's in the crowd. What do you think? Is that a fight you're looking for next? Sirogon no-sells it. He says, I want a path back to the title. And kind of curious to see where they put Gone. I don't know if they'll try to give him a fight. Quick turnaround. Something maybe towards the end of the year with that big New York card. Sergey Pavlovich is weighing in as a replacement. If I'm Cyril gone, I'm looking to fight Tom Aspinall or Sergey Pavlovich on that same card with John Jones and Stipe Miocic, because one has to assume that both of those guys are probably done after that. And I don't see the winner of either one of those fights being willing to fight Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall, or Cyril Gon. I think Cyril Gon is the easiest matchup for John Jones, probably. Uh, but I definitely think Cyril Gon would perform better in a John Jones rematch. Tom Aspinall and Sergey Pavlovich are two dudes with with good boxing, especially Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall is like the nightmare matchup for John Jones at heavyweight, just because he is equally fast, equally athletic and can box really well and has good BJJ and good wrestling. And John Jones is, you know, I would say John Jones's weakest part of his MMA game is just his straight boxing. And Tom Aspinall is also faster than John Jones, but back to gone. Uh, hopefully he, hopefully he, Gets another big fight. Again, he said he wants to fight for the title. I just hope that they don't have him like rematch Volkov if Volkov wins on this coming weekend. Uh, but good good performance for Gon. He he got 50K for it. He's going to need it because we're going to talk about what happened to him in the middle segment of the show. But either way, great performance for him. Spivak needs to go back to the drawing board. Spivak will probably just fight some meddling contend- contender. Maybe Bivak can fight the loser of Jarzino Rosenstrike and Curtis Blades 
especially if it's Jarzinho Rosenstrike, because Jarzinho is going to need some sort of, um, sorry, uh, Dalton Almeida. I'm so sorry. Dalton Almeida blades. If, uh, if Jelton loses to Curtis Blades, I think him versus Spivak would make sense because Jelton would need some sort of a comeback fight uh, because I think the UFC is kind of liking Jelton. Either way, great performance by Gone. Moving on to the co-main event of the UFC Perry. We have Rosna Yunez taking her first flyweight fight and she lost against Manon Fioro. I'm here to talk about this fight, but I don't feel good about either one of these two women moving forward. Manon had a one-handed fighter in front of her, a fighter that can be broken in Rose Namajunas, and Rose still went out there and won the third round. That Rose is kind of notorious for landing those little cheeky head clashes. It is something that she kind of does now which I guess that kind of shows me something that, that Manon can take a big clash of heads and not be deterred. Manon's game is very, she really relies on being a, a physical Southpaw where it's a lot of one, one twos and, and then a lot of check hooks and her, her right hook is not good. She threw a right hook at Rose in the third round and literally it looked like someone shot her with a poison dart because she got so far over her herself. She kind of tripped and fell to the ground. I really didn't like Rose's game. First off, in the, Rose switched camps now. She bought a house, moved, which is really weird. Her just kind of reappearing up a division after making a large purchase. It's kind of like, was this a money grab? Tell me what you guys think if you thought this was just a, a reach for money for Rose or if Rose really felt like she could win a title at 125. I don't, I mean... Rose is definitely not fighting for a title at women's flyweight. Um, if she can't get takedowns and that's the game that she's going to bring to man and Fiero, I would not favor her against Grasso. I would not favor her against Blanchfield at all. And I would not f- favor her against Shevchenko at all. I know her and Shevchenko have trained a lot together. They would know more how that fight would go than me. Either way, this Rose had a lot of uh, slick stuff in the pocket where when she would throw, she could land on man. And I think Rose is a better MMA fighter. She went back to the corner between the first and second round saying my finger is broken. If you saw her fingers like bends out, like her finger, her finger got jacked up. So she kind of got, she kind of got stuck into being a one-handed fighter. She fought out of Southpaw a lot. She was countering Manon over her lead hand pretty well. Uh, Manon was trying to, uh, hit her with the lead hook. Rose is able to counter it. She was able to counter a lot of Manon's jabs up. Manon just wasn't deterred. I didn't like Rose's game plan. Looping back to that, Rose is trying to get a lot of takedowns, and I just don't like when a fighter moves up a weight class, especially with somebody with her striking ability to try to wrestle. You need to go out there, and you need to just be the fleet-footed, faster. Striker, that's that's what you need to work on if you're moving up a weight class, in my opinion. Rose is a pretty good wrestler. She was kind of shooting these like weird TJ Dillashaw type where she will get in on a double, but then also get in 
you know, the foot behind and try to trip. She was also wrestling from her knees a lot, looping back to Jalton Almeida. Jalton Almeida does that at heavyweight, but he's a big dude, super strong. That's not going to work at, at 125. And Manon just had success with the volume. Like, she just wasn't deterred. She stuck to her game plan. Manon is a very nuts and bolts fighter, and I think she really relies on a lot of her physicality. For Manon moving forward, Rose is a former champion, but Rose is a former champion at 115. Rose is coming off of a ter- was coming off of a terrible fight to Carla Esparza, and then she lost this fight too, which wasn't a great fight. And Manon lost the third round. I think the shitty performance. I thought the performance was fine against Talos Santos. I think Blanchfield's win against Talos Santos is is a much better win. Looking at looking at them compared to this, where. Blanchfield lost the first round against Santos and was able to develop an idea and actually, you know, switch her game plan up a little bit and and make adjustments and win the second and third round where Manon won the first two rounds and then lost the third round against a one-handed fighter moving up a weight class. Rose is great, but at 125, Tala Santos is a better MMA fighter than Rose Namajunas. Tala Santos, look what Tyla did to Shevchenko. Manon called for a title shot. She said, I beat a former champion. Now it's time for me to beat a real champion. I think Manon Furo should. It's too bad Macy Barber is. She just got surgery. Like, I think yesterday or just this past weekend, she just got surgery. So for Macy, I don't think Macy will be recovered in time to take a fight with Manon. But that would be a pretty interesting fight. Macy Barber versus Manon Firo. Like Macy Barber is one of the more physical women at 125 and, and she's improving a lot. She looked really, really good in her last fight. It's too bad Macy Barber's out. Uh, next weekend. Well, not next weekend, but the weekend after this coming weekend. We have a pretty big women's flyweight fight Shevchenko versus Grasso I don't know what the UFC is going to do with that if Shevchenko wins which is kind of likely if Shevchenko wins they may book a third fight or they may just treat it like Nunes Pena and just think the first one was a flash in the pan a one-off so I'm not I'm just not too sure Amanda Furo could fight Aaron Blanchfield in a number one contenders fight because we may be getting stuck with the third fight with Shevchenko and Grasso. If Grasso wins, I think we need to do Shevchenko versus Manon maybe. And then we can do Blanchfield versus Grasso. I think that would make the most sense. But in a couple weeks, matchmaking for Manon will probably be a little easier than it is today. Uh, either way, uh, okay performance by Manon. She got the win. She beat a former champion. And Rose should probably just go back to 115. Not the most, not the most uh, intriguing or fun fight. But this fight, this is a guy that's really starting to creep on my radar. But now he's there. This dude is the is just a French banger. We got Benoit Saint Denis getting that really impressive win over Thiago Moises. Benoit looked really good here tonight. 
he he did make mistakes. It definitely wasn't as clean of a win as his Ismail Bonfim win. But I like that he was able to out grapple and kind of just yeah, he he whenever he walked, he was just marching Santos or sorry, Tiago Moises forward, crushing him with body kicks. Anytime he would pressure Moises against the cage, he was just a bigger, more physical dude throwing big combinations. He would land three or four big power shots and then Moises would counter him and cause him to reset. We already know St. Denis is durable as shit. His Aleski Dos Santos fight, he showed everyone he was uber durable. And in this fight, he did take some big shots from Moises. Uh, Moises is, when he's forced to strike with people, he's much more of a slower pace, will get on the front foot, but much more of a slower pace dude. Benoit really drug a a brawl out of Moises. They were throwing elbows. There was two different sequences. Uh, Paul Felder was like, this is like a Muay Thai fight. There was two different sequences in the first and the second round where they're both just in the pocket. Wow, just high guard throwing elbows at each other. I'm hitting my mic with elbows. These dudes are just throwing elbows at each other, exchanging elbow combinations, which was dope. Uh, <laughs> they're like looking like praying mantises for, for, for a little bit there. I loved St. Denis' fearlessness to take Tiago Moises down. He crushed him, cut him with a huge elbow in the first round, had him gushing and bleeding everywhere. In the second round, he just took him down, caused caused Tiago Moises to turtle. And he just flattened him out and was just crushing him with shots against the cage. The referee came in and was like, fight back, fight back, fight back. And St. Denis just poured it on. I thought he could have maybe let him up um, or someone like uh, Morgan Char- Morgan Charrier, uh, maybe go back and body kick him. But he just pounded him out, crushed, crushed Moises. I really like St. Denis. I just like his game where he kicked Tiago Moises in the balls twice with that body kick. I think the body kick is becoming like one of his best weapons. He spammed that shit. Like crazy against Bonfim, he spammed it here. And if he's willing to spam leg kicks against someone that can wrestle with a high BJJ level that Tiago Moises has, I'm curious to see what he would do it against, like actual like American wrestler. Is he willing to give up that leg to somebody, uh, someone like a Michael Chandler or or something like that? May may take that leg and and use it to get a takedown. He kicked him in the balls twice. And the ref was like, watch your weapon. You do it again. Like, that's the final warning. And he still kept throwing it. And I love that. He 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 knew that was just part of his game. And he kind of just ran over Moises in between the first and second. St. Denis' corner was telling him, don't brawl with him. You don't need to brawl with him. St. Denis is also huge at this weight class. And he's just four fights in a row. He's streaking now. These, these are two great wins. He called for the winner of Fiziev and Gamrot. I don't know if the UFC will give him that, but I think him versus Matt Frivolo would just be fucking awesome. Two dudes with two great beards that are willing to slang and bang. And Frivolo's in a ton of fun fights. St. Denis is clearly another guy that's a contestant for just having badass fights. And this dude may become like fighter of the year. Yeah, he has. He's it's he's at one fifty five. This is like 
the second hardest division to become top 15, especially top 10 or top five in. But this, this guy is a top 15 fighter, in my opinion. He's great. I am doing a show this coming Wednesday, which I believe will be the September 6th. Keep an eye out. Um, this will be on the Shillin and Duffy show. It's a fantasy MMA draft, and we need to pick one fighter outside of the top 15 in the Sherdog rankings. And if St. Denny is not in the top 15, when I put my shit together, I hope um, Jay Petru will also be joining. I don't, I really hope they're not listening to the show because I think St. Denny might be my pick for lightweights. He might be my outside of the top 15 guy because this dude's got some real effing potential. For Moises, uh, he gets matched up pretty tough if you really look at his record. The dude's fought Benel Darius. He's fought Bobby Green. Shit, he's fought Israel. I can't speak today, guys. I am sorry. Is I'm just going to call him Mahashev because I'm getting too tongue-tied. Um, I don't think he'll get that fight either. The Fiziev Gamrot, I don't see either one of those guys taking this fight. He called for the loser, which I like that guy that was willing to call um, for the loser of a fight. I think that that's kind of funny. Great performance from St. Denis, though. He's a guy to watch. He He's definitely the most entertaining fighter out of France right now, in my opinion. Uh, so shout out to that guy. That was really dope. And just a quick recap of the rest of that card from UFC France. Uh, Volkan Ustamir ha- had a great win against Guskov. Violent, violent club and sub finish. That was awesome. His check hook was firing. He looked great. If I had more time to talk about him, I, I, I would. And I probably should have went over his fight over the Rosenfioro fight. But the Rosenfioro fight, I guess, matters more. Um, Morgan Charrier had an incredible, like, chef's kiss. Beautiful knockout via body kicks. And then the Farid Basharat went out there and just effing dominated Clayson, Clayson Rodriguez. I picked that fight for you guys last weekend. I did not expect it to be one, so one-sided. Farid Basharat may be the better Basharat brother. He is a motherfucker. He is a guy to look for. Bantamweight is stacked. And with guys like him in there, who knows? He's got two great wins, Damon Blackshear and now Clayson Rodriguez. He's definitely a guy to look out for. We're going to breeze through the middle segment of the show. What's hot? We are going to talk about Laura Sanko. Laura Sanko is apparently filling in on this card for Joe Rogan, maybe, or maybe Joe Rogan just didn't want to do it, and I don't blame him. Uh, The UFC is on its final trip around the world. I guess we had uh, Singapore, and then we had France, and then now we have Australia, I don't blame Joe for not wanting to do that 12, 16, however long flight to Australia, especially for this card. So we got Laura Sanko stepping in to take his place. One would assume it's going to be John Anik, DC and Laura Sanko. And this trio has never commentated together. I'm curious to see the mastermind of Anik and the mastermind of Sanko work together. I think, man, if, if, if we ever get a card where we can get Paul Felder, John Anik and Laura Sanko want it together. Like, I think Sanko and Felder do 
freaking awesome together. John Anik is just a consummate professional. You can you could put John Anik with with anyone. You can put him with me. Like he's he will knock it out of the park every time. And DC and and Senko, they've done some contender series stuff together. They seem to be able to bounce things off each other really well. She'll refer to DC. She'll say, DC, tell us about the wrestling. And that's where DC is the best. DC is actually still. He can go off on tangents. He'll talk about fast food, whatever he'll talk about. Um, but he's a really good commentator. He's great at breaking down the wrestling, and that is where he shines. Sanko is great everywhere. She's she's just like the – I'm not going to call her the woman's version of Anik, but she is just as prepared as John Anik. That woman is so prepared. She is so – She's really, really good at commentary. Yes, she's a pretty face. Everybody knows. Um, of course, she's gorgeous, but that doesn't matter. Like, that's not why she's here. She's here because she's really good. I remember when she first started doing stuff for the Contender Series, she started off as an in-cage announcer. The UFC brought her on as, a, as an in-cage announcer. And then she, she told Dana, like, hey, I want to do the in-cage. I want to do the interviews. And I want to commentate. And I remember there was a couple episodes where she was running around the whole entire apex. And after that, she showed Dana like, hey, she can do it all. And now she's she went from that over these past few years to now commentating on the pay-per-view with with Anakin DC. I'm really happy for her. Number one, it's great for women's sports, period. I I talk I talk about this to my fiance all the time where I think MMA is probably the number one sport for representation for women. I, I really do think when it, when it comes to tons of other sports, you can look at WNBA, you can, you know, women's soccer, they're not doing comparable numbers to men, but when it comes to combat sports, especially MMA, even boxing, women's boxing is not treated the same. Women are treated just the same as men are in MMA. They bring in good viewers. Women are just as popular as men in the sport. And having someone like Laura Senko around really just boasts that up. So I think that it's great for it's great for combat sports and it's great for MMA. And, and Laura Senko is just real good at her job. Um, so so big big shout out to her. Another thing I want to talk about is uh, poor Cyril gone. The dude's fighting at home in front of a giant arena. The the crowd in Paris was nuts. I think that's probably crowd of the year. They they were great. But some freaking assholes broke into his house and did a home invasion while he's fighting the main event. And they to his apartment they did over a hundred and they, they stole over hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of shit. So yeah, he got a fifty thousand dollar Friday the night bonus. You gotta assume he's making more than 150k to fight. Sierra Gon's probably making 200, 250. He's a pretty big name and he's a heavyweight and multiple main event guy, previous interim champ. Sierra Gon makes some good money to fight. But that's got to suck. You go put in a fight camp, all, all the things, and then you come home and your house is your freaking cribs broken into $150,000 worth of damage. That's just terrible. Um, Obviously, there's not a lot of talk about it from talking about Cyril Gon's house getting broken into. Um, but that sucks, guys. Like, supposedly someone close to him leaked the information where he lived and where he was going to be while he was gone. And who knows what they stole. Shit, they probably stole his UFC belt, um, which is just terrible. Um, if you did that, shame on you. Moving on to the final segment of the show. In with the new, 
we got the UFC 293 card coming up this weekend. Pretty mid pay-per-view, in my opinion. Uh, you know, it's funny. This is in Australia, and I would say that in if I could compare this card to something, I would compare it to Outback Steakhouse. Will I eat it? Yes. Will I hopefully go with a family member that picks up the tab? Also, yes. Just a very, I, I mean, gosh, it, we, we do have the UFC Noche coming up next week where we do get a title fight for free. But this card is just not the best. Uh, we, we've got that the main card is is literally it opens with Tyson Pedro versus Anton Chakali. Chakali doesn't have a win in the UFC. Justin Toffa versus Austin Lane. Toffa's fun. Lane is unproven, very unproven, and, and Toffa's just he he's just like the wish version of Mark Hunt. Uh, I I was gonna break down the Manel Cop card. Manel Cop fight, sorry. When he was booked against Kai Kara France, that would have been probably the best fight on this card, including the main event, including the co-main event. Two super high-level dudes going at it. Now, Manal Kopp has actually got uh, a new opponent, Felipe Dos Santos. He's a dude that was supposed to fight on the Contender Series two weeks ago, I believe. They pulled him from that. Um, he's a shooto box guy. That, you know, it's got the blonde hair. Very shooto box style dude. I'm not going to pick that fight for you guys, though, just because it's not. Number one, it's Manal Kopp, and this fight might not even happen. Manal Cop might miss weight. His opponent might. Manal Cop is just plagued with fight pullouts and weird things. And I'm too scared to even pick this fight. I hope it happens because Manal Cop is great. And Felipe Dos Santos, you know, will he lose this fight more than likely? But is he a, is he a fun addition to the flyweight division? Yes. Um, especially, you know, with that shooto box style. Uh, but first fight we're going to talk about. Carlos Olberg versus Da Un Jung, and this is not on the main card, which it probably should be. And, and Carlos Olberg is definitely Israel's, you know, anywhere where Israel fights, Carlos Olberg fights. He's fighting Da Un Jung. Odds on that fight. Olberg's a pretty hefty favorite. Minus 245. Da Un Jung comes back in at plus 210. And Da Un Jung is, he is a guy that, one of those I'm not going to call him a stereotypical stereotypical Korean fighter but he also kind of is a stereotypical Korean fighter he had a really nice win against Kennedy Kennedy and Chukwu you know had that decision fight that decision win against William Knight the draw against Sam Alvey yes it was back in 2020 was very weird the, the knockout against Mike Rodriguez was good. Everything was looking great for him. Everything was trending great for him until they matched him up with Jacoby. Um, Jacoby knocked him out in the first round. And then Devin Clark went out there and, and kind of was able to just out-wrestle him, out-strike him, and beat him everywhere. And Devin Clark's okay. He's tough as fuck. But it's Devin Clark. He's a meddling light heavyweight. It's going to be fighting Olberg. And Olberg is a guy that... Out of everyone on this whole entire card, he probably has the most upside where he, he's a good-looking dude. He's violent. He comes from a good camp. 
and yes, his his knockout loss to Kennedy and Chukwu. He just brawled with him and got caught brawling and he hurt and and almost finished him multiple times. But the fight against Fabio Charant, Charant didn't fight. Charant's corner was literally apologizing to Olberg after the fight was over. Knocked out Kennedy, uh, Tafon and Chukwi. Tafon is probably no longer in the UFC and Tafon was definitely a small light heavyweight since then he's fought at middleweight. The knockout against um, Nikolai Nugamariano, that was a great knockout. Nigamariano is a good fighter, and I, I thought Nigamariano was going to win that fight. And then he looked even better against uh, Ethor Pretoria. Uh, Olberg just Don Jung is probably better than what the odds portray. He's probably better than his last few fights. He's a huge man. He's giant. Yeah, like every every light heavyweight. What is he? What is his height? Okay, he's six foot three, but he's. Just huge, like he's broad. He's just—he's a giant freaking man, and and Olberg's also a big dude. I think Olberg will be able to get on the front foot. I think he will—he's going to be faster. He's better at timing his shot. Olberg has a good cross. He also throws a good hook behind it as well. I think he will be able to just pressure Dong Jung, um, kind of lace him up, lace him up with jabs, get him on the back foot and then probably finish him along the cage. He's really good at setting up his hooks. He has good kicks, and I think he's just going to be the faster dude than Daun Jung. There's not even much to say about this fight, unfortunately. I think, again, Olberg has the upside, especially from the part of the world he comes from. He's going to always fight on these Aussie cards, and... Yeah, I don't think this is a very favorable favorable matchup to Jung. Jung may be getting his UFC cut slips. He might, you know, he may be on his way out after this one. I'm curious to see if Olberg wins this fight. They need to get him up the rankings. I think a fight with him and Jacoby would be really, really fun, or even a fight with him and like Azmat Mirzakhanov. I know those are two dudes that are, you know, contenders or you know, whatever. But I think that those would be two really, really fun fights or even like Olberg versus Vulcan Uzdemir. That's the one to make. I think if, if Olberg wins this fight in impressive fashion, we can match him with, Vol- with uh, Vulcan Uzdemir. I really like that. I think that'd be super fun. Uh, but my pick on this one, I'm going to go with the favorite. I have been picking fights for you guys kind of willy nilly because I haven't been betting them. I don't, I don't gamble on fights as much as I used to. Uh, I'm having to do so much tape study and so much other work for this show and the other stuff I do um, that I have just kind of steered away from the sports betting thing and kind of just been talking about stuff for more fun. But if you're going to lay coin on this, like a parlay, having Olberg as a, as a parlay piece, maybe, you know, a, a par- parlay him with someone like Manel Kopp, um or, you know, parlay Olberg with or bet Olberg within the distance. Um, or maybe you can parlay him and Izzy and get a decent number there. Uh, but I definitely think Olberg's going to be a big part of people's parlay pieces. And I, I like him to win this fight. I like him to win it by knockout. I'm going to go second round knockout. So pencil that in definitely bet the under. And I think maybe even Olberg under two and under two and a half makes a lot of sense. Moving on to the second heavyweight fight on the main card and this fight should definitely be on the main card we have Tai Tuivasa fighting 
Alexander Volkov, Drago. Poor tie to Ivasa. The dude goes on a run, knocks out Derek Lewis. And he just can't, he just can't get an easy fight. Um, real quick, the odds to Ivasa is a plus 210 underdog. Alexander Volkov's a, a minus 250 favorite. I think the odds will actually continue to shift. And I think uh, Volkov will become more of a favorite as the uh, fight starts coming up. Looking at Tai Tuivasa's record, he went on that win against, he went on that winning streak. He he knocks out Stefan Struve, which is really funny because he kicked him in the face and he was jumping over the, uh, over the cage. He knocks out Harry Hunsucker. Harry Hunsucker shouldn't have been in the UFC. His knockout against Greg Hardy was impressive. He got touched and, you know, had to reset, whatever, and then goes and knocks out Greg Hardy. He knocks out Augusto Sakai and he knocks out Derek Lewis. The dude was on a one, two, three, four, five fight winning streak, all knockouts. He was on a three fight losing streak before that. Um, and now he's back again, losing two fights in a row. He had a moment against Cyril gone and knocked out and knocked down gone with a big overhand drop gone. Um, and then he went out there and got finished in under a minute against Sergei Pavlovich. The time between those two fights, I didn't like the, Cyril gone fight was on September 3rd of 2022. He got knocked out and then he got knocked out again on December 3rd of 2022. I think the UFC probably shot him some coin and was like, Hey, we really need you to take a fight. Tui Voss was a fun fucking guy. He he's gonna, he's gonna go out there and he's, he's gonna have a brawl with every single person he fights. Cyril gone had so much success kicking him to the body. Um, just using his straight punches. Volkov is a dude that can... His short notice fight with Greg Hardy, like Volkov has got everything, every ability in the world to go out there and just get on the front foot and, and murk Greg Hardy. Like what he did to Walt Harris was super impressive. Just destroyed Walt Harris. However, that was like right after Walt Harris's uh, stepdaughter had died and everything. So uh, there's an asterisk with that, whatever. But his knockout against Ordoom, his knockout against Overeem was, you know, Overeem was definitely on the way out there, but that was him really showing that he can go and get on the front foot. Um, and then his knockout against Rosenstrike and his knockout against Romanov. I think, I think this fight is really hard for Tuivasa. And I say that because I think if Volkov gets on the front foot, he he's so long. He's got good power. He's also transformed his body. He's definitely a lot bigger of a dude. He kind of got manhandled and still was able to get up and have success late in his fight with Curtis Blades. He did lose against Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall went out there and got him with a straight arm bar, a very heavyweight type submission. But Tom Aspinall is a super elite athlete and, and, and probably the best heavyweight in the world, in my opinion. Hot take. But the way he just hunted down Rosenstrike, Rosenstrike is a very, very dangerous dude. Rosenstrike is just as dangerous as Tui Vasa on the feet when it comes to power. Rosenstrike may be more dangerous, if not just as equally dangerous as Tui Vasa. And Romanov is, a, is another big dude. Romanov came in looking like an old sack of potatoes in that fight. But I think Volkov, he loves the straight kicks, and that's what Gon had tons of success against Tui Vasa with. I think this is going to be a really bad fight for Tuivasa. Volkov cannot have the fight he had against Gon, or sorry, against Greg Hardy in this fight. 
if he goes out there, just puts a jab on Tuivasa and is willing to stay on the outside and coast, this could look like the Derek Lewis fight where he is winning seven, eight, nine, ten minutes of the fight and then just gets caught with something. Look what Tuivasa was able to do against Cyril Gaon. No one has had more. It's crazy to say this, but when you look at the actual fights, no one has had more success striking with Cyril Gaon, just plain striking, than Tai Tuivasa. No one. Francis Ngannou didn't have as much. Francis Ngannou couldn't touch him. Um, and Tuivasa sat down, flash knockdown, and, and nearly finished Cyril Gaon. Tuivasa's got tons of power. Tuivasa is a super tough dude. I love that he has waited. He, you know, he's suffering two knockouts in a row, and he's probably going to get knocked out in this fight too, unfortunately. But I love the elbows that he showed against Derek Lewis too, where he just he's another one of the only dudes that has just won an absolute brawl with Derek Lewis. Tuivasa is a good heavyweight. Again, it's heavyweight. It is heavyweights, but he is a good heavyweight. He can brawl. If he, if you get stuck in a brawl with Tuivasa, unless your name is Sergey Spivak, or sorry, Sergey Pavlovich, like it's a 50, it, it could be a 50-50 fight. I think Volkov just goes down there, walks him, gets him on the back foot with a jab, crushes him with those stabbing body kicks, the same the same body kicks that Gon landed. Volkov loves that body kick and just starts wrapping that. Volkov will will throw his two. He'll throw his straight right behind the jab, but sometimes he'll start looping it around the guard. Sometimes he'll put a little loop on it, and I think he'll just you know be able to just jab him up and and start really hurting him with that cross. And I think that that teep to the body is is going to be his number, probably his most used weapon in this fight. I'm going to go Volkov another chalk pick. Uh, probably. I love watching Manal Cop fight again, but I'm just not I'm not breaking down that fight because it's not the Kaikara France fight, and I'm butthurt about that. Um, and the way that Manal Cop's fights go, I don't even know if the fight's going to happen. Um, so this is my second most uh, looked forward to fight on the card, probably. And again, chalk. Sorry, guys, going chalk today. Moving on to the main event, we have. Israel, the last style bender, Adesanya versus Sean Strickland. And just got a notification on my phone. Jared Cannonier will be weighing in as the backup. So Jared Cannonier has made his way out to Australia from New Mexico, Arizona, Arizona. Um, one of those two places, they look the same. If you're ever driving through them, they look exactly the same. Um but yeah, uh, Jared Cannonier will be the backup. So good on Jared Cannonier. He hopefully has a pocket full of crystals and maybe he'll be able to fight. But we got Sean Strickland. He's a plus 475 underdog. Is he coming back at minus 650 as a favorite? This fight got put together on like six weeks notice. Uh, they just needed, I mean, gosh, this is a fight night card already. But here we have it. Uh, this fight should be very, very one-sided. But I, I think that there's ways that Strickland can have success, however unlikely it may be. Obviously, everyone says to wrestle Izzy. That's where his thing is. But that's his weakness is his wrestling because of the Jan Blachowicz fight. If you've listened to any sort of 
media work I've done, you'll know that I'm not the hugest fan of Israel Adesanya. And it's not his fighting style. It's more of just the personality he is and who he has um, become and showed himself to be. I thought the, the Duplessis thing was pretty distasteful. Um, again, you know, I have my opinion. And you know what they say about opinions? Everyone has one. They also have. Israel should be able to just come out here and he can, he can have the Yoel Romero fight with Strickland. Strickland does not address leg kicks at all. And he is a dude that will pick up that front foot. He doesn't check. Sean Strickland just doesn't really check kicks. Izzy's leg kicks are going to really, really mess Strickland up here. I think that's going to be his biggest used weapon is just get behind the leg kicks on Strickland. And I could see him. I could even see him TKOing Strickland with kicks. Strickland is super tough. He can take damage. He really only has ever gotten hurt. We saw him get hurt a little bit by Usman at 170. We've seen him get hurt um, and finished by uh, Aleski Dos Santos. He's famous on this card for whatever reason. <laughs> um, but we haven't really seen I mean, he's fought Jared Cannonier, a, a very known power puncher. And the only dude that really hurt him was Alex Pajera. And that's Alex Pajera. Alex Pajera also knocked out Izzy. Uh, Alex Pajera can knock out anyone in the world. I think Alex Pajera can knock out anyone at 185, 205, and at heavyweight. He's just an anomaly. He is Poatan Stonehands for a reason. Izzy's faints. Strickland is such a reactive dude. He has really good vision. I still think he might have the best vision in this division. Uh, he he will hand fight. He he loves to he loves to hand fight. He loves to try to parry punches. He will use four. He uses forearms to block. He's a very weird boxer. He you, no one no schooled fighter will ever learn how to fight like him. No one will ever be taught to fight like him. But he he definitely bites on a lot of feints. That's something that is he's going to have a lot of success with here. Izzy's boxing is okay. He will he can he can kind of sometimes get overzealous in the pocket and overswing in the pocket with people. Uh, even in his in his first fight with Robert Whitaker, where he stoned, where he iced Whitaker, you know he's in the pocket swinging with his eyes closed. There's a still shot where Israel clearly has his eyes closed and he's just swinging in the pocket. Strickland isn't the guy to make him pay for something like that. Strickland has a really good jab. Might have the best jab in this division. I think where Strickland's success may lie is to really take on like a, a flyweight style grappling against Izzy. Izzy is really, really good against the cage. I don't think Sean Strickland is fast enough. I don't think he has good enough takedowns to take down Izzy in the middle of the open cage. But I think where he can have success is if he can get if he can get Izzy on the back foot, which I don't think is likely because he's just not enough of a powerful puncher. To, for, for Izzy to respect it, but if he can um, use like a Pantoja style game where he can, you know, get Izzy to get against the cage and then just like standing back takes and trip up the legs. We've seen we've seen Strickland do things like that. Well, he will take he will take someone's back standing and then try to you know interlock the legs and trip them to the ground. He is a better grappler than Izzy. He doesn't use his grappling enough. He will need to use his grappling in this fight to have any success at all. Izzy's faster. Izzy has much better kicks. I could see Izzy kicking, kicking Strickland with 
25 million calf kicks and then switching to a question mark kick and just knocking him, knocking his block off. Izzy has good cardio. Sean Strickland has good cardio. They're both super tough. Uh, I think the press, the press, the press conference is going to show a lot. We're going to see where Izzy's at mentally. We know that we know that Strickland is a big, big talker. We know he loves to talk. We will see how angry he can get Israel. Maybe he can force him into a fight where he's making mistakes out of anger. We have seen Izzy make some mistakes in some fights. However, he is world-class and at men's middleweight. Sean Strickland is also world-class, but I think Izzy is just a tier above him. Strickland has to, Strickland has to nullify Izzy's kickboxing game, which is just so unlikely. And I think his best success is again against the cage, trying to get like standing back takes or trying to trip him from trip him to the ground from the back standing on the cage. And if he, if he can squeeze out two or three rounds like that, maybe he has a chance, but the odds don't, the odds don't favor him. Izzy's minus 650 today. I'm recording this on Monday, September 4th. By the time the fight starts, Izzy's going to be at least minus 800. Um, I think he, I think his kick, I think he's just going to kick Sean Strickland to bits here. I think he's going to faint him to death and just kick him to death. I, I, I could, I would not be surprised if this fight does not end ends in a, just a TKO via leg kicks. And Sean doesn't check him. Sean is a better wrestler than probably Marvin Vittori, which is a dude that was able to get Israel to the ground. And Israel's going to have problems when guys, when guys like Hamzat Shemaev and, and Bo Nickel and Ikram Alaskirov start making their way into the rankings. But for now, Israel's title reign has come with a lot of really awesome timing and that's not his fault at all. But if you look at his record, he hasn't fought anyone that is a true wrestler. You, yeah, you, you could call your Romero a true wrestler, but the only person that's really tried to press a truly press a wrestling game on him was Jan Blachowicz. And Jan Blachowicz won that fight. And there's just really no one else around him that can do it. Robert Whitaker had a lot of success in their second fight. A lot of people scored the second fight for Robert Whitaker. So that, that is a replicable game plan for someone like Sean Strickland, but he doesn't have the speed. He doesn't have the entries. And he just, the way he circles out and it, you can get him to bite on a faint, drop his hands to parry something and then just clock him with a hook. Like Pahara did. Israel does not have the one shot power that Alex Pahara has, but even in the Jan Blahovich fight, Jan Blahovich said that he was surprised by Israel's power. Um, Israel has great timing, and I could see him, I just see him kicking him to bits and then probably just question mark kicking him in the head. Uh, again, not the best pay-per-view, guys. The next weekend card is going to be great. We have some pretty good fights coming up. The rest of the year looks pretty good. This one will be fine. I'll be recapping this one for you guys next week. And then I'll be talking about the Shevchenko Grosso fight too. So there's a lot to look forward to. And then on Wednesday, again, Shillin Duffy show, I'll be on here. It'll be live on YouTube. It's at 6 p.m. Pacific, so 9 p.m. Eastern. Tune into that. This is the show. Check the kick. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy the fights.